0: So last week we heard about a conversation that Jesus had with a man called Nicodemus. He was a religious uh, Jewish leader, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a member of the ruling council. He was a teacher. He was not just a teacher, but he was a teacher of teachers. And he was a highly educated Jewish man. And he came to Jesus at night because he wanted a bit of cover under darkness. Uh, He was a bit embarrassed to come, and they had a long conversation. And John's Gospel, unlike all the other Gospels, is full of long conversations. There's a number of long conversations. One is Pontius Pilate, towards the end, and the other Gospels don't contain these conversations. And the amazing thing is that the people whom Jesus speaks to are all so different to each other. And I think what John, the gospel writer, wants us to understand is, look, anybody from anywhere, any background, any nationality, any gender, any age, any educational background, they can all become children of God. They can all find eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ and that Jesus on the cross was actually the best picture we have ever had of what God looks like. Because in that place of ultimate pain and human shame, we see more clearly than anything else in history what the love of God looks like. Because God is willing to bring freedom and forgiveness and eternal life through the very worst that human beings can do. So last week, a highly educated Jewish teacher. This week, in the next moment, the next breath as it were, John is telling us, the woman whom Jesus has a conversation with is a Samaritan. She would have been illiterate because women weren't, didn't have the opportunity for any, any education whatsoever. And she was ostracized. She lived an isolated life. The fact she's walking from the town of Sychar out to the well at 12 noon, not with the other woman in the early morning, when there was probably good crack and good safety. She was walking out by herself, and that tells us something very important about this woman. For whatever reason, she lived an isolated life. She didn't go out with the other woman to the well. I imagine it was because perhaps she was ostracized, perhaps she was despised, Perhaps people just saw her with pity. Whatever it happens to be, she found it easier to go out by herself and not to enjoy the conversation and not to enjoy the safety of being with the other woman going to the well. And I can just imagine that what's happening is that Jesus is at the well outside the town. It may just be a couple of hundred meters outside the town. And he is waiting there for his disciples to return with food because they have gone into the Samaritan town to buy some food. They're taking a shortcut through Samaria because Jesus wants to go from Judah back to Galilee because things are starting to heat up in terms of persecution towards him. The religious leaders are starting to get more and more concerned about him. And so Jesus decides to... Uh, get out of Dodge and to go back to Galilee. And as he does, he goes through Samaria and the, I mentioned the disciples are not at all pleased at having to go through Samaria. I don't know what the equivalent for you or I would be of walking through Samaria. It might be walking through uh, West Belfast. It might be walking through um, a place where um, it's an Islamic state. I don't know what the equivalent would be for us. Think of a place that if you were walking through, that you might feel particularly uncomfortable walking through. That's how the disciples felt walking through Samaria. So when Jesus stays at the well and they go in to the town, they would have wanted to get out of there as quickly as possible. They probably went up with a few coins to buy some bread perhaps something to get water out of the well, and they were trying to get back to where Jesus was as soon as possible and to get out of Samaria as quickly as they possibly could. It would have been a very uncomfortable place for them to be. And so they're rather surprised when they come out and they discover that Jesus is speaking, not just with a woman, but with a Samaritan woman. They would have been shocked by this because There was bad blood for 700 years between the Jews and the Samaritans. We're well used to what it looks like whenever there's bad blood for 700 years between different communities within a country. And so, not only were Jewish men not allowed to speak to Samaritans, they weren't allowed to touch anything that Samaritans touched. And more than that, Jewish men within Jewish religious etiquette were not allowed to speak to women. In fact, as a a religious devout Jewish man, if you saw your wife out in the marketplace during the day, you were not allowed to greet her. It was seen as unseemly to speak to any woman as a Jewish man out in public. So you can see the social boundaries there are surrounding those who are Samaritans and those who are Jews. And so the Samaritans would have been shocked when they came out and found Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. And obviously, a Samaritan woman who had some sort of unusual circumstances, why was she out in the hottest part of the day by herself at the well? Why was she willing to speak to a man, a Jewish man at the well outside the town? But as the Bible passage tells us, they didn't ask Jesus, why are you speaking to her? And they didn't ask her, what do you want? The image I have of the woman coming out of the town is that she is coming out with her water jar and obviously the water jar is something that's like a bucket for us, and she is carrying it, perhaps on her shoulder, perhaps she's carrying it on her head. That would have been the norm. And she's going out to the well to get water for the day. I imagine that the bucket that she's carrying, the jar she's carrying physically, is empty. But I can imagine as she's walking out, the figure that she produces or portrays is one of heaviness and disappointment and pain. And I imagine what happens is that Jesus, sitting by himself, hot, tired, and thirsty, hungry, waiting for his disciples, he sees this little figure coming out of the town and weaving her way up towards the well. And in the midst of his tiredness and thirst, The thirst for human souls comes to the fore. And I imagine Jesus sees the heaviness and the disappointment on this woman. It's not difficult to spot when someone is heavy or disappointed, because their head tends to be down. They maybe walk slowly, and they look as if the weight of the world is on their shoulders. And also the fact she's by herself. I imagine in a way that she is, although she's carrying an empty jar or an empty bucket, she has weights that she's carrying, not physically, but in herself. And the reality is that every single one of us carry weights. The only person who actually always gave away their weights to God the Father was Jesus. He was the only one who has ever managed to live a completely free life. So the question I have for each of us this morning as we think about this woman walking to the well and she's carrying her pain and disappointments and heaviness is what disappointments and pain and heaviness are you carrying? because I believe that every single one of us here, in fact, every single human being on the planet today, is carrying at least one heaviness or disappointment. And they can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, all sorts of shapes and sizes in here. Some of them are caused by our own poor decision-making. It's what we call sin. Some of them, we're so disappointed with ourselves because of what we did or what we said, or because of what we didn't do, or because of what we didn't say. And there are events in your life and my life that perhaps still there is something that we still carry because we're just so disappointed at what we did or what we said. And the Lord today wants you to take these heavinesses and to get them out of your bucket. So often we forget that they're there because we develop mechanisms to cope and to try and just cover the pain. Perhaps for you this morning, one of the pains that you carry is one of bereavement. Whenever we lose someone who's close to us, then naturally we weep, we cry, and that is a good thing to do, and that is a God-given gift. But what can happen as we walk along our journey is that we start to say, God, how could you have let that happen? How could could God have taken away my father when I was 21 years of age? All of us need to come to a place to decide, am I going to carry that and blame God or blame myself or blame my father or blame somebody or am I going to take it and say, God, I'm going to give that to you because it's not a weight that I can carry. Or perhaps, as this woman would have experienced, she had been, she had five husbands, and the man she was with was not her husband. Now that means that either she has lost five husbands who have died, or she has lost five husbands through divorce, or most likely a combination of the two. This woman has experienced excruciating pain on at least five occasions either through divorce or through death. We don't know. But what we do know is that there's potential for this woman to have been carrying a whole bucket load of pain. And because of that bucket load of pain, she is walking by herself in the middle of a hot day, out to a well, and she has got her head down, and she looks as if she's carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders. And I believe as she does so, Jesus is saying to the Father, Lord, Father, help me to bless this woman today. And I believe that as he says that, and as he listens, as the woman is coming out, weavering away to the well, I believe that the Holy Spirit whispers into Jesus' heart, ask her about her five husbands. And the man she's with now is not her husband. But notice that whenever she comes, Jesus doesn't launch in to just saying, hey, by the way, on the way here, God just told me something that's either going to impress you or coerce you into the kingdom of God. Instead, Jesus asks the question, will you give me a drink? Now, she is flabbergasted because she thinks, well, how on earth can you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And Jesus says, well, if you knew he was asking you for a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she says, well, you you haven't got a jar, you haven't got a bucket, how can you give me a drink? And the place that Jesus hopes they'll get to in the conversation is the place where she says, give me the living water. And Jesus says, okay, I'll give you the living water. And that's when he reveals that God knows all about her pain. You see, in this world, what sin the world and the devil want more than anything else is that we will fill a bucket full of pain. That's why Jesus says we have three enemies in this world. Sin, our own poor choices. That's the worst thing. The world... What does the world throw at us in terms of brokenness or sickness or disappointment or job loss or broken relationships? What does the world throw at us? And what is just direct attack from Satan? And all these things have the potential to fill our bucket full of pain. And there's only one way to get rid of your disappointment. And this woman is about to find out how you get rid of your disappointment. So she comes to Jesus and Jesus starts to talk to her about living water. And the living water is a metaphor for God's presence. The living water, the running water, because living water is all about running water, Jesus was basically saying, I can pour out living water into your life that will mean that you will never be thirsty again. And so this woman leaves at the well her bucket full of disappointment. That's why John notes in this story, she went back to the town, leaving her jar behind. John wants us to understand what that means. She is leaving behind her bucket of disappointment. She's gone to the well with an empty jar to get water, but she ends up going back within about an hour she's going back and she's carrying something different she's not carrying disappointment anymore she's carrying hope so this is not a a physical bucket this is to represent our heart and our soul that Jesus pours his living life-giving water into and what the Lord wants us to do in our lives is he wants to get rid of our bucket of disappointment and he wants to fill our heart and soul up with water living water the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the woman starts heading back, having realized that Jesus obviously is at least a prophet. then she realizes that he is the Messiah. And then she declares to the town that actually he is the savior of the world. Now that is quite a turnaround in one hour. With Nicodemus, it took months and months and months Within an hour, she is going back to the town and she has left behind a bucket of disappointment. And instead, she has a bucket of hope. And I wonder at first if that, as she goes, she starts to go quite slowly. She's come to get water from the well and now she's going back to the town, but she's not carrying a jar, but now she has a hope-filled message by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's like she is becoming a sponge plunged in the Holy Spirit who is about to help to feed and give quench to those who are Samaritans living in her village. Imagine as she walks back. First of all, perhaps her walking is slow and then it picks up pace. Because here's the thing. Both in Jewish law and Samaritan law, if you were living with a man and sleeping with a man who wasn't your husband, then there was only one thing the law said, you should immediately be stoned to death. So it's no wonder this woman keeps herself to herself. She walks in the shadows through the town, she knows people talk about her, she is despised. She is pitied. People maybe see, well, she's had five husbands. There's something definitely going wrong there. What's happening? The Jewish rabbis taught that there was only a maximum of three marriages allowed. Once you went over that, then you weren't allowed to marry, and you were certainly never married to live with someone who wasn't your husband. She knew that her life, in a way, hung by a thread. That's why she kept herself in the shadows. So she walks back to the town and she has a very important decision to make. Do I go back to the town and say nothing and forget this ever happened? Or do I go back to the town and I start telling people that I have just met the Messiah? This is no simple decision because she decides, as her step quickens, to go back and stand in the middle of a town and to speak to the people with whom she has a strained relationship and to say, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She's taking a big risk. Particularly because they will then ask her, what things did he tell you? And she will have to say, well, you know the fact that I've had five husbands, and the man I'm living with now is not my husband. In effect, she is saying boldly as she steps back into the middle of that village, well, stone me if I haven't just met the Messiah. And I don't mean stone me figuratively. As she goes back and says what she's about to say, she might be dead before the sun goes down. That's how big a risk she is taking. And they say, well, what things? And she tells them, and because they realize she has just risked her life to tell them that she believes the Messiah is outside the town at the well, they start to make their way out of the village. And by this time, the disciples are back and they have this conversation with Jesus about crops. It might be hard for us to understand, Well, why do they have this conversation about crops? But I believe what happens is that The woman is heading back into the town. She comes back out with them, no doubt. And there is this crowd of people from Samaria coming out of the town. And the disciples talk about, how did you get food? And Jesus says, my food is to do the work of my father. My food is to bring healing to those who are disappointed. And Jesus sees the people coming out of the town, and he says, look, The harvest is ripe. If you're willing to see it, it's just there. In other words, Jesus is saying is the harvest of people who are living in disappointment and who have the opportunity for freedom is massive. All we have to be willing to do is to bring God's blessing out into that place where there are so many people who are hungry and thirsty for God's goodness. So the question for us is, are we willing to become people who leave our disappointments and heavinesses behind and meet with Jesus Christ and have him lift our burdens and disappointments and then become people who are those who bring living water, hope, and forgiveness out into the community? That as we are blessed, so we bless. As we are forgiven, so we forgive. As people, as God does good to us, so we do good to people. God is here by his Holy Spirit this morning to restore strength and beauty and hope and purity and purpose in our lives if we are willing to receive it. But firstly we have to be willing to go to him and ask him for his forgiveness and healing. And we also have to be willing to face the pain that is in our lives. Pain of loss, pain of broken relationships, pain of sickness, pain of bereavement, pain of disappointment, pain of letting ourselves down, pain of blaming God, pain of things that people have done or said towards us. Sometimes the pain becomes so ingrained and we, come, we become so familiar with it that either we don't recognize it or we actually come to a place of cherishing it. Are there people that you need to forgive who have caused you pain? The thing about these buckets is that the place of disappointment and heaviness actually in a funny way feels like emptiness. Because if our lives are so full of pain and disappointment, there's no room for the living water of God. What God wants to bring is life and freshness, a fountain that overflows and is overwhelming of God's love, not just for us, but for those who are around us. And so that woman became someone who actually, initially, she knew that no one wanted to talk to her. And she didn't want to talk to them. And by the end of the story, people weren't talking about her, people were talking to her. And so the story finishes by the people of her village saying to her, we no longer believe because of what you've said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we believe that this man really is the savior of the world. There is no greater privilege in life than telling our story of how God is bringing hope and healing in our lives that leads to other people coming to trust in Jesus Christ. So don't be afraid to bring your pain and sorrow and disappointment and sin to Jesus. And don't be afraid as he restores and renews you and gives you life to tell other people the whole story. To tell other people the story of your pain and your sorrow and your heaviness that Jesus is healing because that will really impact people's lives. Because everyone whom you speak to or I speak to is carrying at least one big boulder of disappointment in their lives. But Jesus said, I've come to set you free. I've come that you may have life and have life in all of its fullness. This morning as I was just praying about us gathering today in our services and online, a few things came to mind as I was praying, and I hope that I've heard the Lord correctly. One was a picture of a big cormorant, one of those big seabirds standing on a rock and unfurling its wings. That may mean something to you. One of them was of traffic cones, big orange traffic cones and traffic lights. One was the verse from Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, says Jesus, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the last picture was of Skittle Sweets, Colourful Skittle Sweets. The thing that amazes me about Jesus in that story is that the Holy Spirit revealed information to him that only God could have known. And that's what made the difference in this woman's life. What Jesus talked to her about was her deepest pain. And yet she expected that whenever someone had this information, they would use that information against her. They would use that information to press on her place of pain or to try and manipulate her in some way. But Jesus does none of those things because he is gentle and humble in heart. This morning, perhaps in the singing or the praying or the reading or whatever, God has been speaking to you about some pain or sorrow or heaviness or disappointment that you hold. Do not be afraid. God is speaking to you not to cause more pain but to heal your pain. Trust him, pray to him, speak to him about that place of pain and you will find that he will lift it from you and in its place he will give life in all of its fullness. Let's pray.